Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer, and broadcaster. And actually, it all began for me on March the 1st, 1985, when, after a one-hour chat with Leonard Cohn, I felt so transcendent, I decided that I must go out in search of more of my music heroes to talk with. Although I hasten to add that the roughly 1,400 public figures I then went on to interview were not all my music heroes. And in one case... Someone whose music I'd loved since I was a child and heard his single Hold Me, PJ Proby, turned out to be perhaps the one hero it might have been best had I never met. We talked for nearly three hours one day in 1987, and I have uploaded as podcast fragments of that chat, but much of it is not fit for public consumption, such as, arguably, his racist and homophobic comment at the end of this podcast. But before PJ gets to that, he tells us a funny and insightful story about what it would have been like to be invited for drinks and dinner with his friends at the time, John and Cynthia Lennon. It certainly will be hard to get out of your mind the image of John circa 1964-65 doing a private performance at home of the old movie Phantom of the Opera. By the way, if you want to read the PJ Proby interviews published or are interested in the tapes for personal or professional use in a documentary, Contact me via joejacksoninterviewer.com. So, did, did you get on with did you, you you got on with the Beatles instead of Lennon somehow? I got on got on with John. Great. I, I spent every single weekend at John's house. Yeah. Uh, and took care of the kids and Cynthia oh, yeah. when he was away because he he was out all the time. And uh, and uh, John and I were fairly near the same age uh, and mentally totally on the same level. Uh, the one was that uh, um, the other one I got on with it was Ringo. I think uh, Ringo's older than I am. Yeah, I'm 48. I think Ringo's about 50 now. Yeah, because yeah. he was in a jazz group before he was with the Beatles, and Ringo I could talk about anything with from uh, Louis Belston of who John oh, yeah. Lennon had never heard of. because yeah. John was total rock. Sure. To uh, Lenny Bruce to all the you know all the people that I that ask any other Beatles about these people they wouldn't know what the, what the fuck are you talking about is that a, is that Ken to Gene Vincent or something no you're way out of state baby way out of state get another syringe was this that time this was more when it was drinking this was pre-drugs well, was it well see they um Star he uh, Ringo drank not excessively uh Lennon drank I mean, uh, Paul didn't drink at all George didn't drink at all. And so that, that ended our relationship real fast. But John and I, he'd send his chauffeur and his Maserati and everything over to pick me up. And uh, I'd always pick up about five or six fifths of whiskey. And we'd carry it on like that for about a year and a half. And then one night, picked me up as usual. Uh, and I uh, put the whiskey on the table and said, right. And Cynthia already had the meals made and everything. She cooked like... John liked American food. You know, T-bone steaks and corn yeah. on the cob. Yeah. Broccoli with hollandaise sauce and everything. And uh, then after that, we'd go up and we'd... He had a thing as big as this room, maybe a little bit bigger. Great big plywood board with racing things and about 50 to 6, 75 little racing cars with these things uh, that you... Like you fly an airplane, a model oh, yeah, airplane yeah, in the sky. Yeah. 
and you race your these things. You have crashes. I mean, oh, he loved all that. Sophisticated artist. Yeah, <laughs> and then he had the room, which actually it was an old mansion, and it was a room where they wrote all their music. It was a toilet, a bathroom, and it was uh, the bathroom alone. It was the size of this living yeah, room, yeah, yeah. and in one corner was the, the giant Elizabethan tubs, and then the toilet, and then uh, then a big table for writing. And uh, he collected what do you call those gramophones or something? They had the big bell up. Oh yeah, the wind-up gramophones. Yeah, yeah. He collected those. He had about twelve of those. One was made out of python skin. It was a giant thing. Yeah. And uh, in the bathtub. It was filled full of dirt and these plants. And and they were man-eating. You put a, John loved to throw flies at them. And then June bugs and, and things. Even beetles he threw in there. And, and they'd go <laughs> and snap them out of the skies. Fucking shit. I said, uh, he said, yes. He said, and don't sit on the toilet either. That's where the really big ones are. Because I was about to, to, to sit on the toilet and play the guitar. And I looked down the toilet and here's these things coming up out of the toilet. Like that. You know, these fucking tropical plants that bite your nuts off or something. <laughs> and um, so this was, this this was his thing of humor. Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, he did the Phantom of the Opera. See, it was, it was um, um, Cynthia's job to keep me downstairs or anybody there downstairs after dinner until John went up and got ready to, for the house to be shown. And uh, it was beautiful. It wasn't all that, that, all that much furniture downstairs or anything, but you could see what it could be if he was a money-spending guy. And uh, so she said, would you like to see the other floors? It's a three-story house. And I said, yeah. So on the, you walk up these stairs all dark and at the top of the first stairs, it was a long thing of curtains, kind of indented like that thing over there. And uh, they're all drawn. And then as you get to the top of the stairs, <laughs> uh, she's gonna, now the bedrooms are over to the, the curtains come open, and one note is hit on this giant pipe organ, and it fills the whole house, and your ears are ringing, and John turns out around with all this black under his eyes, and Tooth picks up his nose like that. These rotten teeth he's bought in a, in a goof shop or something. And he's, a, and he's got a cloak on, the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> and of course, after that many drinks, you, you really grab hold of the banister to keep from falling downstairs and breaking your neck. So was this before the drugs culture? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was drinks culture. And then after that, your heart's going... <laughs> then he just laughs and then shows you the rest of the house. And his part of the house was totally matte black. All the walls, the hall, the floor, everything. Like when you go in the spook house at uh, Billy Smart Circus or oh, something. Yeah. Yeah. All matte black. And that was the floor that Cynthia uh, was not allowed on. That was his floor to do what, what he wanted to with. The hall... The place where he did his little cars and everything, racing cars, that was all matte yellow. And then where they, where they wrote most of the Beatles songs, where I almost got my ass bit off by the fucking snapping flowers. Um, that was where him, him and um, uh, Paul used to write all the music. 
and he could play every single instrument there was in the world. He played steel guitar, he played lead guitar like a lot of people don't know. He played every uh, every uh, cello, every uh, string instrument there was, every um, fl flugelhorn, tuba, trumpet, played them all. And that's him playing them on all, almost all their records. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, yeah. And so this, this whole image of swinging, the Beatles and you and swinging and all that stuff, we're just playing games with cars and all that in the background. I mean, was there not? When did things tur start turning sour and the... Uh... When the drugs thing came out, like when, like what we used to do is for fun, we'd go over to Brian Jones' house and break in. He'd be out with his girlfriend or something. We'd break in. And we all we planned all this. And I'd go to Brian's house and we'd plan to wear our stinkiest, worst clothes. You know, we hadn't taken a bath in for ages and it was just really... Yeah. And we'd go over there in those clothes. And Brian was only a little guy. All of us were much bigger than him. And we'd go in and go up and raid his closet and put on all his clothes and his pants like the legs came up there on and left all of our clothes on his bed for him to take to the laundry. And that was that was one of our nights, the Brian Jones night. And um But how when the drugs came into it then? Fia Jones no, and the Stones? Well, Drugs was all already in it for the Stones, but it wasn't for the Beatles. Yeah. But the night that I brought, the last night I brought those big, those four, five, six things of uh, bourbon to John's house, and he walked in the living room. I said, "Hey, baby, let's go," and he said, uh, "I don't drink anymore." I said, "What?" <laughs> I said, I "Don't drink. I smoke shit." I said, "You smoke shit." Mm-hmm. You mean you're a, you're ahead now? You're marijuana and hash. I'm, yeah, that's what I do now. And he rolled a joint and everything. And uh, I said, well, I guess that just means one thing. It means there's more for me. So did yeah. you not partake? No. You were not interested? You were happy with the booze? Well, actually, that was one of the last times I ever saw John because when I went back from then on, they talked about things that I didn't that went over my head. I didn't know what they were talking about. This was on drugs uh, culture talk. Yeah, drug talk. Yeah. Talking about uh, surrealistic and oh, yeah. things they saw on LSD trips and and uh, all that kind of stuff. I didn't. That was kind of. I, I didn't understand that kind of talk. Yeah. Didn't know what the hell they were talking about. Well, this uh, could, it could be said that this is where rock started getting boring. Well, it did for me. Yeah. Uh, that's when, that's when I really started drinking in my living room alone. Yeah. And, because, uh, why? Because you felt uh, alienated or just bored or fed up with the way things were going? I was, I was bored with, with, with anybody who's not physical, I'm bored with. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Anybody who wants to sit around and talk about uh, cultural things and things I already learned in school and I've already graduated with all that shit in my head uh, and doesn't want to go out and raise hell and beat fuck out of niggers and roll queers, they're no fun to me. <laughs> Is that what you do for pastime? That's what I did when I was younger. Hi, Judge Jackson here again. I know. Perhaps I should have trimmed out that quote, but I may follow on with similar comments, which are similarly racist and homophobic from PJ Proby. Either way, thanks for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. And don't forget, if you want to read any of my articles or contact me via tapes of this conversation with PJ, do so via joejacksoninterviewer.com.